0: Remember that it is okay to share some personal information about yourself, but you already know about you. Give just enough about yourself to express common interest, but not enough to monopolize the conversation.
1: Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Today, we don't just hear a message from Zig Ziegler. We get a five-star training course in relationship skills, that will empower you with the greatest asset a person can have. He's talking specifically, directly about sales and prospects. Folks, in our life, and you know this if you've been listening to the show or listening to Ziglong, anyone we want to influence or connect to is, in essence, a prospect. And we are the salesperson. To a great degree, every engagement with a human is a sale between the two. The definition of a good sale is an exchange of value, which should be equal between both parties. If not, you want to make sure you're the one given more. If it's one-sided, that's called a con, I think. So in your personal interactions with others, is it a win-win event? Do you both get value? Do people seek you out or avoid you or just, nah, I could take or leave you. Do you provide value to the relationships in your life? Would you like to have more meaningful relationships, be more sought after and attractive to others? I mean, good relationship builders are just not born. That's a myth. They're made. And so the question we all need to ask is how much training have we done to be able to relate to people well and authentically? This message, folks, it is pure training. Uh, This is why secrets of closing the sale changed so many people's lives. It was about life more than mere sales. Well, the eight and a half minute message you're going to hear from Zig is really the boil down cliff notes of that secrets of closing the sale. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And here you're going to get it for free. Seth Godin testified that he listened to secrets of closing the sale, something like 70 times. He had to rebuy it back when they had cassette tapes that wore out. And it wasn't just because it taught him how to sell. It taught him how to relate to people well. Well, Hey, from the message there that we're going to hear, I then asked on Facebook where I do invite you. So many of you have joined us over there. It's at my personal page, agent K Miller, just friend me there and you can join these weekly discussions. And I asked the question, what valuable insight have you realized or received that has helped you in relating to other people? Well, whether personal or in business, we got incredible comments that Tom Ziegler and I talked through at length. Before I give you this incredible clip from Zig Ziglar, let me tell you about a couple great resources. All right, folks, well, here we go with a powerful eight and a half minute training session with Zig Ziglar.
0: My friend and fellow speaker, Jim Cathcart, has a seminar he teaches on the inner, that's I-N-N-E-R, view. Isn't the name terrific? Just thinking of doing an interview instead of an interview will help paint the kind of picture in your mind that is necessary to be successful in gathering information in the need analysis segment of the sales process. If you will make conducting an interview with your prospect your goal, your sales career will be greatly enhanced. Even some very successful sales professionals have difficulty firing off a series of questions to a prospect they are meeting for the first time. Still others struggle with asking for information without giving some information first. The POGO formula will allow you to get involved in a conversational interview process that will be comfortable for you and the prospect. P-O-G-O, POGO, gives you a track to run on and specific direction on how to best meet the comfort level needs of the prospects. The P in the POGO formula stands for person. The parameter for you as a salesperson who is interested in gaining trust and finding out wants and needs is to get and give information regarding the people involved in the sales process. As you enter the person's office, if you're making the call in person, look for visual clues, pictures, trophies, office design, which will allow you to establish a common ground. As you enter the person's office via the telephone, a sincere compliment can be effective. The person who answers your phone was certainly pleasant, or something as basic as a sincere, as opposed to cursory thank you for taking my call, will help get you off on the right foot. Anything that expresses a sincere interest in the prospect will be valuable to you. As you are designing a series of questions relating to the person, remember that it is okay to share some personal information about yourself, but you already know about you. Give just enough about yourself to express common interest, but not enough to monopolize the conversation. If you must have a rule of thumb, limit personal revelations to 25% of this part of the conversation. In other words, three parts prospect to one part salesman. The first O in our POGO formula stands for organization. As the conversation about the person draws to a close, move to the organization. Again, probe gently and be willing to talk about your organization in the places you have positive common ground or you can sincerely compliment the prospect. The same rule applies as in the person aspect of POGO, 25% about your organization to 75% about the prospect's. Now, before I oversell that point, let me emphasize I am not saying you cannot talk about your company. Some prospects are very anxious to know about you, and you must give them enough information to build confidence that your company is solid and reputable. However, do not monopolize the conversation. Your objective is to give them enough information to build that confidence and to gather enough information to make you effective, that is, to make the sale. The G in our POGO formula stands for goals. This is the time for gathering personal and professional goals, such as what do you plan to accomplish in the next six months? What goals do you have in place for the next year? Notice that both of these are open-door questions. Now, I would never accuse a prospect of fibbing, but I have known a few who would say what they perceive the salesperson wanted to hear. One of the greatest dangers in the need analysis portion of the sales process is to allow the prospect to throw up a smoke screen regarding their true goals. In all fairness to each of us, Our human nature is such that when we are probed about our goals, our first tendency is to tell the questioner what we think they would like to hear or what we think they expect to hear. Many non-professionals are so pleased to get a response that they hurry along to the next part of the process. The true professional will continue to probe. One of the most important probing questions you will want to ask is, why would achieving that goal be important to you? Another way of asking the same closed-door question, confining to a specific goal, is what would achieving that goal mean to you? And you may have to ask this question several times. Many times a prospect's goals will involve money. I want to submit to you that money is never a goal. The real goal revolves around what can be done with the money. When you ask a prospect about their goals and you get a money response and you follow with the, why would that be important to you question, you're beginning to discover true goals. In addition, you are also helping the prospect discover true goals. Many will have given their goals very little thought. And while this portion of the selling process must not digress into a counseling session, your goal must be for the prospect to get real with you." Why do so few people actually achieve their goals? Primarily because they have never really identified the true goals. Once again, the people who think their goal is money are wrong. Their goal relates to what they can do with the money. Whether it's to build a monument to themselves like a beautiful home or a wing unto the orphanage, it is most important that the real goal be identified. One reason many sales blow up on even the experienced salesperson is because they sold to the smoke screen and did not probe for the real goals. The second O in our POGO formula stands for obstacles to reaching the goals just discussed. As Dr. Norman Vincent Peale says, if you want to meet someone who has no problems, no obstacles in life, just go down to the cemetery. And come to think about it, some of them really have problems. Everyone with whom we come in contact has problems. I once heard a man say, you go up to anyone on the street and tell them, I heard about your problem, and they will say, who told you? The key doesn't lie in not having problems. Once again, we all have problems. The key lies in finding solutions to those problems. Jim Norman, the CEO of the Zig Ziglar Corporation, made a sales call with one of our reps, and the prospect was adamant about not being able to use our services. As the two ZZC representative neared the end of their allotted time, Jim asked, as CEO of Zig's company, we sure face our share of obstacles. Would you be willing to share some of the problems your organization faces? Forty-five minutes later, they walked out with a sale. He had not talked himself into a sale. He had listened to himself into a sale. People don't want to hear Zig Ziglar speak or read Zig Ziglar books. People want to hear that there is hope in their future and read that no matter how bad things have been, that they still have a chance. People want how-tos that are practical and applicable in their lives. People are seeking information, inspiration, and direction in their lives. People come to me because they believe I may offer a solution to their problems, that I might help them overcome the obstacles. People will buy from you for the same reason.
1: Well, there you go, folks. We all just got massively schooled. I'd ask you right now, who in your life would benefit from hearing this message as well? Shoot it to them, share the wealth. Well, again, from this message, I asked folks on Facebook to share, uh, in response to this question, what valuable insight have you realized or received that has helped you helped you in relating to other people? Well, whether personal or in business, we have such high caliber comments And again, I invite you to join us in these weekly discussions. Just friend me on Facebook at agent K as in Kevin Miller. All right, well here then Tom Ziegler and I talk through some of these incredible comments. All right, Tom, well, in this question, you know, asking people where they had gotten insights or even resources for, that helped them to relate well uh, to people, uh, it was interesting to see. Most of them gave insights, you know, just things that they had realized along the way or been taught along the way. I didn't get people saying, "Hey, I." Well, I had a couple, you know, but said, "I read this book. I read a book by Zig Ziglar who taught me uh, that stuff." But you know, they they shared the real life. Oh, I think just the awarenesses is that a word? Can I say that awarenesses? <laughs> we just I just works made for it, me. thanks. I just made that, up. Uh, <coughs> which you know, in here you and I. Uh, and a blessed reality grew up with so much of this teaching. And yet I feel like it's hardly a week that goes by, especially as we interview these amazing people that I don't have a new insight into how I can relate to better, uh, to people better.
2: Man, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, who said that curiosity is like, like the most important, kind of aspect we need to have as, as people. Yeah. And when you see somebody who is on a personal growth journey, when they're trying to improve, it usually starts with curiosity. Hmm. Yeah. And I have a good friend. He's a mentor of mine. He's actually, we need to have him back on the podcast, Bob TD. We had him on. Oh, right. That's been a while. Yeah. A, a few years ago. And I'm just, I'm just going to lead off with, with this. Uh, I think just knowing the right questions to ask is one of the most powerful things that we can do to show interest, to get engagement, to develop relationships with other people. And Bob has a website, it's called uh, leadingwithquestions.com. And he's got these eBooks filled with questions that are free. Mm. I mean, it's, 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 it's like, if you're like, well, gosh, I don't know where to start. You know, how would I ever do that? If you were just to learn one powerful question a week, Mm. To where by the by the halfway through the year, think about it, halfway through the year, you had 20 plus questions that you could pull out at any time in any environment, whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable or it's natural or it's out of your league. Boy, (laughs) questions allow you to fit in regardless of how uncomfortable the situation is, because guess what? You don't have to do the talking; they get to do the talking.
1: Well, you know what I like about that, Tom, is I think about what you're saying there to ask questions. I mean, that takes some humility to do. I mean, I'm, I'm really aware in any social engagement, whether it's one-on-one with somebody or in a group of the people who ask questions, because it's not that often. We all generally, I think naturally we go in and we want to tell, we want to speak, but somebody who asks a question makes you feel like a million bucks. But yeah, you saying that, I mean, that's assuming a learning mindset, as opposed to a fixed mindset. I think we all know those people, but it's a great one to turn around on, ourse- on ourselves. Would people say that we are a, have a learning mindset or a fixed mindset? Are we asking questions yeah. or are we just telling? I put
2: a quote on my refrigerator about a month ago, and it says, "The quote is I can't remember who said it. It's it's an awesome quote, and I can't remember who said it. How funny is that? Yeah, well, but the
1: quote is it's probably Zig Ziglar or Henry Ford, yeah. one of the others. Yeah." Are
2: Ben Franklin's grandfather. That's what but what I mean. the quote is is it says this: "What I already know is often, oft is often what's keeping me from learning something
1: new." Oh, that's good. That's good.
2: And I just I look at that and I go, "Yep, you know I'll be passing by this area," and I'm like, "I know that area, I know that area," and I'm blocking potential learning. Yeah. And with with the right question, of course, Dad had the famous quote: uh, "People don't." care how much, you know, until they know how much you care about them. And the quickest, fastest, easiest way to show somebody you care about them is to ask sincere
1: questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I have a healthy fear of being a fool, which I've always thought of as somebody who thinks they know and they don't. That's the most dangerous of all. Uh, right. Well, Hey, so let's jump into some of these because we've got some really insightful stuff. John Harrison says, uh, he says, conflict arises from the stories we tell ourselves about the facts. Start with the facts, then ask for their for the other person's interpretation of the facts. And compare it to your own story. It's amazing how quick we can move forward when we realize that no one person typically has the whole story. I think that takes us right back to what we just said. Are we open? Do we have an open learning mindset or do we think we know the facts?
2: I know. You know, in our business, I, I like the story, I call it the sin of the desert. And the sin of the desert is when you're in the desert and somebody's coming through the desert. They're near death, right? They're dying of thirst. And the sin of the desert is you know where the water is, but you don't tell them. Mm. Mm. And so I can't tell you how many times I've been uh, in a kind of a sales environment where somebody else will be doing the sale. And the prospect will say something. And in my head, the story I tell myself is, oh, they're not buying. They're not. They're done. They're out of here. They're not buying. And all the person responds to them is, can you tell me more about that? That's the simple response. So that fact that you have in your head, you predetermined what they are going to do or not going to do. Just do the follow-up question. Can you tell me more about that? And Kevin, I would say 70, 80% of the time, they're actually very, very interested Mm -hmm. in what you're talking about. They're just trying to figure out how it fits their specific need. And so by asking, can you tell me more about Mm -hmm. that? You get their story. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's, that is significant. Somebody says that we're going to get to one in a minute. And she talks about this, asking that, you know, asking, asking people why. And I love that term of tell me more. Tell me, I mean, we so seldom have somebody because we're waiting to jump in with the next thing. Uh, well, you know, interesting. I don't even know if we need to comment on this one because it just lines up with what we've been saying. Uh, David asked, he says, people really appreciate honesty, meaning don't try to speak beyond your knowledge. In fact, if you admit that you have a lot to learn, most people, even those you may be selling to really appreciate it and will oftentimes find it refreshing and will want to work with you even more. You know, it's interesting. That, that's one of my sales techniques. So here there's my admission. Uh, in the, in the health and wellness arena that I work in, most people that I'm talking to have a pretty significant, uh, they've at least pursued knowledge in wellness in that area. And so we'll get on a topic and they want to share what that is. And I find myself so often saying, you know what, you probably know more than I do. It's one of my sales techniques. Cause it just, I think it does. It builds trust, uh, because it comes across just like he's saying as honest and, uh, gosh, and humble. And how much do you like to find humility in a salesperson? It's not that common as we, as you know here, I'm going to group a couple together here, Tom, uh, Nate Schwarzenegger says, uh, I love that. That's a good Amish name. That's my heritage right there. Uh, he says, recognize that personality types react in different ways, then deal with them according to their comfort zone, not your own. Uh, you know, uh, this is uh Liz Kelly Durham, you know, the Durham's. Um, yeah, she, absolutely. James and Liz are awesome. And yes. The whole family. Yeah. K- yeah so, and- so she, I'm honored. She posted in here, she says, uh, and it came right on the heels of what Nate says. She says, not everyone thinks, responds, interprets, understands, or communicates the same as you do. We, we sometimes assume they do, especially in conversations. They may have a completely different interpretation that we fail to notice. We're all unique. We celebrate our differences, except we forget this in communication. How true is that, Tom?
2: 100% true. And Liz is speaking from a
1: personal uh, family
2: experience. James Durham, is, he's one of our ZLCers, so is Liz. But James had a traumatic brain injury. And so he actually has a physical reason of why his thinking is different. The way he processes is different than it was before his accident. And if you were just talking to James and just met him somewhere, you would have no idea that that was his background. And then I'll tell the story of my daughter, my my daughter Alexandra, uh, in the personality profile of the DISC system, D I S and C. One of the things that we certify people in, and and we, uh, you know, we really teach because you got to you got to speak to people in the style that they listen in. Let me say that again. It's it's not I'm going to share my style with you. It's I'm going to ask questions and communicate to you in mm-hmm. the style that you like to hear. Mm-hmm. Now, my daughter has a very interesting disc profile. She is a C I C is the accountant. It's yeah, It the, is interesting. The detail oriented, it's the numbers it's sequential. It's, but I is like the gregarious cheerleader energy person.
1: That'd be like your favorite accountant ever.
2: I know. And, and I think, um, I think they said that her profile is less than 1%. Oh, wow. Because they're at opposite ends of the graph, bottom left hand, top right hand corner. and But what this does is she's my, she's my protection mm. because I'm an S, okay? So as an S, I'm a relationship guy. And so I'm all about the relationship. I never want to hurt somebody's feeling. And let's face it, I was raised by Zig and Gene Ziegler. So, I walk into every situation thinking, man, this is going to be fantastic. These are the best people in the world. I trust everybody. And the last thing in the world I want to do is hurt somebody's feelings. Now, my daughter is a detail C numbers person first, and then she's this outgoing gregarious. And because of that, she has a 360 degree perspective of the way people enter into a situation. So, she can easily identify the D's, the I's, the S's and the C's and what they're coming into the situation, the conversation, and she can read motive and intention and I can't do it. Hmm. And so just understanding that, you know, sometimes I'll be with my daughter and I'll like, well, what do you think about that person? And I'm all ears because my ears are tuned to hear the best and which is good This is not a bad thing. So for people Mm. listening, this is not a bad thing. When I speak and I'm in front of an audience, the way I look at the room is there is so everybody in that room is a beating heart. And those hearts have so much potential that just needs to be unleashed. Mm. That's, that's the way I see a room and every personality sees the room differently. A D might see the room as, wow. If we could just get everybody going in the same direction, and and in moving forward and making decisions this would be awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. My,
2: my daughter, she's stuck, right? She she wants everything to be perfect and she wants to be uh the the leader, you know, an I is usually the center of the party. A C is the person who sits against the wall. Okay? But my daughter because she's a CI, she comes in and she's quiet, but her smile and her charisma 20 minutes into it, she'll have a crowd around her. Yeah. Right. And it's not because she's gregarious and drawing the crowd in. It's because her body language and her style makes people feel comfortable and they come in. So Mm. I love that comment about, we need to speak to people in the style or the personality type that they are. And so that's some of my own experience.
1: Yeah. That, I love that. It sounds like uh, your daughter, who I, I know well has the gift of discernment. And man, that's a significant, significant gift. Uh, you know, and, and with that, when we look at, yeah, let's speak real quick. You know, we've got this millennial age. It's all the, all the talk these days and how they want to be authentic and, and uh, such things. And yet when we look at this topic of relating to people, like they want to be related to. I know that to some people that can come off as being, as not being authentic. Hey, I just got to be myself. If people like it, fine. If they don't fine. I I, I understand that it's not going to, you're not going to win a lot. I think with that, but Tom, let's speak to, it's not about not being authentic. I am still me, but my gosh, just the basic old school selling stuff that if I'm sitting across the table from someone to mirror their body language, people are attracted to like-minded things, to, to kindred spirits, the things they understand. And if you got somebody who likes to sit back and cross their legs and they're just kind of, you know, that that informalness, you're going to make them more comfortable and therefore more attracted to you by also mirroring that to a degree. It doesn't mean you have to mimic them uh, and and be a mirror to them. But it does because I, everybody I think can relate to. Have you ever been? Maybe you're in that mood, and somebody else is just nervous, and they're 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 tapping their their uh, leg and they're jittery, and it makes you uncomfortable. That's not a good relationship uh, circumstance environment, right there. So uh, there is some of that to being authentic, sure. But there is so much. If you want to relate to another person, if you want them to open themselves to you to trust you. Boy, that's a, it's a skill that I think we've, we've lost Tom, don't you think?
2: Absolutely. And I, I think what I boil it down to is motive. Hmm. Okay. So my authentic self is I want to be kind to people. And so my motive is to build a Hmm. relationship for both of our benefits and so that means that I'm gonna take on uh, the style of the people I'm around for the benefit of them, not me. Mm-hmm. As soon as we do uh, mirroring or NLP or anything for our own benefit at the expense of them, that's where you've crossed the line. Yeah. Now I buy into the fact: hey, you got to be transparent. You got to be your authentic self. And and then I think of that old saying, well, you know, my, the rights of my fist end where your nose begins. Mm. And I tell you what, I'd rather be punched in the nose than given an emotional blow. Yeah. Just, just about any day. And so while we're being authentic and transparent, I think we have a responsibility to be kind and considerate. And, you know, if you, and Kevin, you can speak to this probably for days. When you have more than one child, you can't you can't discipline and treat them all the same. Mm-hmm. They all have their own personalities. There's a proverb that says, uh, "Raise up a child in the way they should go." Mm-hmm. And I think in the original Hebrew, it's the way they're bent. Yeah, yeah. And, and bent means that God created in them a unique personality, a, a unique combination. And as parents, we can set the rule around a principle or a value that we don't violate, right? That we don't make an exception for. But one child, we can just say, don't do that and be harsh. And they're like, okay, and they move on and nothing else comes of it. The next one, a a stern word will break them down in tears. Mm -hmm. And so you can be much more effective by just saying, hey, come over here. I want to share something with you. And you you, you just and so we grow up. But guess what? We still have that basic nature that we were born with. It's just matured and it's got scars and calluses and, you know, armor around it. And but the reality is, is when we're dealing with adults, we need to understand their, the way their heart was, was built. And we need to communicate to them in the style that they want to be communicated.
1: To. Absolutely. It makes me think of your, your desert quip a minute ago, when you got water for a thirsty person you can help them and they desperately need what you have to offer. But if you can't make them comfortable with you, you can't even help a thirsty person with your water. So I, I love that perspective. Well, here, here's another one in the same vein, Tim Winders. Uh, he just simply says, smile. And do your best to remember people's names. You talk about two of the biggest, the biggest hits that are the easiest to do. So here's a quick soapbox of mine, Tom, with the uh, the whole remembering people's names. It has become this consistent cultural habit to say, oh, I'm terrible at remembering names. I mean, how many times do you hear that constantly? And it's not really true. I think everybody who says that they all have a memory. that's purely, uh, absolutely capable of remembering a name. One word. Remember one word. That's all we're asking here. What we don't do is initially when we meet somebody care and have interest, we're thinking about ourselves and I'm not dissing myself or anybody else. Cause I do it as well. Uh, I do it really consistently. I meet somebody and I'm thinking about me and they say their name and I don't remember it. So I've had to create my habit of saying, tell me again what your name is, which they love because you're authentically showing an interest to ask that again. And they also, they don't, they don't feel bad. you are asking that because they don't remember your name either. Uh, and they'll generally uh, either I'll offer it or they'll ask that again. But if we just look at that and say, man, our propensity to not remember people's names because we are paying attention to ourselves instead of them. And to turn that around, we can all remember a name. Uh, and then the, the smile part again, man, it, what, what is the value of a smile, Tom?
2: Well, uh, there's a famous little saying, a smile is the little curve that sets everything straight.
1: I should have bet money somewhere that you would have a saying for my question right there. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Thank you for fulfilling that. <laughs> I love
2: it. Yeah. You know, a smile is a uh, boy, you know, it costs nothing and pays huge dividends. And, yeah. and you know, dad wrote a book called he, he titled it something to smile about. Yeah. And then they had a sequel, something else to smile about gosh, you know, the world needs more, more smiles. And the name, one of the things that I do, I actually have this habit. uh, A lot of times when I'm speaking somewhere, I actually don't carry business cards with me and I, and I do it intentionally and I will look them at in in the eye and I'll, and they'll want my email address or something. I'll say, Hey, I'll give it to you right now and you will never forget it. Mm. And they go, okay, what is it? And I go, it's Tom at com. And so I'm doing that because I'm actually counteracting what people say. Oh, I'm terrible at names. I'll never remember that. That's good. We're as good at remembering names as we want to be. And then it's a muscle. Mm -hmm. So if we choose, oh, by the way, uh, hey, this is the first episode. We settled on the name of the book I'm writing yesterday. Okay. So it's been, you guys have probably heard it's I've been working title live to win. Right. But here's the new title. Choose to win, transform your life one small choice at a time. Beautiful. And so just the way we ask questions, just the way we remember somebody's name,
1: those are all choices.
2: <laughs> transform your life. We all want that yeah. one small choice at a time.
1: Oh, I love, the, I love the choose to win better. That gives me power within it. Uh, it doesn't sound like a, a Pollyanna statement at all. I like that. And transform your life one small choice at a time. Man, that's your, that's your quote. What's well, the know. quickest way to success?
2: The fastest way to success. Replace a bad habit with a good habit. Yeah.
1: Uh, beautiful. Okay. Well, tell me when I can buy it. <laughs> I'm sure you, <laughs> you will. <laughs> all right. All right. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Uh, Well, hey, here's a great one. Giovanna Ellison, and she is a well-known speaker and coach. She said, showing genuine interest in other people and letting them talk about themselves has helped me tremendously, especially when you ask the question, why? Why did you start the business? Why are you focused on XYZ right now? Giving people space to open up and share deeply from the heart will draw them closer to you than just about anything. So few people have people in their lives who truly listen. And so when they find someone who does, it can create a memory forever. So she's the one that I was referring to a minute ago that reminded me of the of the tell me more of, uh, you know, I've talked with my kids about that. And, and again, it's, it's just difficult because we're hearing stories and we have something to add. And that's valuable, but to stop ourselves and when the person stop, stops uh, giving their story, Instead of jumping in with our own saying, Hey, tell me more about X. I mean, my gosh, get, I mean, think about the last week, Tom, when was the last, did you, did you share something just in a social engagement, not a coaching or consulting gig where somebody asks you to tell more about that? I mean, that showed that much interest. That's incredibly, incredibly rare.
2: Yeah, it is. It reminds me of this. I can't remember where I learned the sales question from, but I'll, I'll give the scenario Um, and I'll use it in the context of a social gathering at a restaurant. Maybe, maybe you went with some friends, maybe you're dating and you're trying to figure out if the person you're interested in likes the place. And so you just throw it out. Maybe your group of friends has gone to a new place and you just turn to somebody and you say, Hey, on a scale of one to 10, how do you like this place? And of course the, 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 the usual is, oh, they'll say a seven. And then you'll say, well, you said seven, Why, what would it take to get it to be a 10? Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that, just do this, say, you know, you said seven, why didn't you rate it a four or five? Oh, nice. Okay. And so then what happens is, is they tell you what they like about the place. And so when you're really there to serve and to help other people and you start to understand what they like about something, bring them more things they like create more environments. Oh, well, you like this, this, and this, man, we should have gone to X, Y, Z, you know, down the road, it's one town over, but man, they have, have you ever been there? No. You see now you've got something in common and it's based on what they like, not what's missing. And in sales, it's a great sales question because a lot of times if, you know, the person is they're thinking about it, they're not going to tell you 10, you know, (laughs) I'm ready to buy. They might say at eight, If you say, well, man, eight, that's, that's amazing. Why not a five? Let them talk. And a lot of times they will confirm their belief and they will move themselves to the nine or the 10 and go ahead and make that decision. That's a much stronger relationship than coercing or talking somebody into something, which, you know, in sales, we're there to provide information so they can make a new decision yeah And relationships is kind of the same. we want to help people go to the next level but if if we can get them to talk about what they like about things and what they expect, then wow that's even better
1: i I love the tactic i haven't yeah I have not heard that paradigm shift. It reminds me and this is show five seventy two in show five seventy q and a show that you and I did. We talked, it was, uh, your, your dear father shared the story of the lady who came up to him and she hated her job and all this stuff. And he had her ultimately write out, uh, or she came up with 47 things she liked and it changed her paradigm in so many ways. You're showcasing that with that tactic. All right. I, I, I got a new tool for my toolbox there. Thank you. Uh, this is a great one. Natalie Gonzalez. She says a quote that has helped me the most in learning to be more effective in dealing with people is by Maya Angelou. And it's this, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. That reminds me, Tom, let's see if you can come up with this one. There is a story that your dad Zig told about a, I think it was a lady who was at a, a meal with prime ministers. Am I ringing a bell here? Yes. Okay. Go with it.
2: Yeah, so I think it was uh I think it was Winston Churchill. And the lady was a duchess or something like that. She was she was uh, you know, uh lineage. And Winston Churchill, he had a pretty uh he had a pretty graphic, not a graphic, that's not the right. Word. He had a pretty rough personality. He was a tell it like it is kind of guy and he he also had a big ego, but he's the guy that won the war basically. Mm-hmm. And she said something like at a dinner, she didn't like his comments, and she looked at him and said, Sir, if you were my husband, I would put poison in your drink and give it to you. And he said, Madam, if you were my wife, I would drink it. <laughs>
1: that's there. you go. So
2: was that the story you were talking about? Or no, but that's
1: to- hilarious. <laughs> that's great. No, it's so funny. Well, there you got it. You guys got a free story. This one was one. I don't know where I get prime ministers, but where where a lady. I, this is my, my memory was went to a dinner, sat beside on both sides of her. It was like, it was like Benjamin Disraeli or something was one of them. And then another, uh, important person on two sides and, uh, she had dinner. So, uh, these amazing people on both sides of her. Later, she was asked, "What did you think about those? You know, the people you sat with?" And she said, "Goodness, the the person, the the, the lady on my right. You get you get tracking with me now. Yeah, I am. You know it better than I do.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I I think it was. Golly, they were such a bore. They you know they talked the whole time, and I felt so ign- insignificant." The person on my left made me feel like I was a genius because all they did was want to know more about me. That yeah,
1: yeah. It was it was something to that degree of the person on my right, my gosh, they told me stuff. They they seemed like they were an amazing, incredibly accomplished, brilliant person. Uh and the, the person on my other side made me feel like an incredibly brilliant, accomplished, amazing person. So there's a quote that I read here recently. This made me that this uh that Natalie's comment here made me think about and it said so often the problem, the issue, the challenge, the trial that we're dealing with right now, this the problem, it will be gone shortly. It'll be gone the next day, the next week, the next month. We won't even think about it. How we react to it will last forever to those who may be around us experiencing that. And it, it just, of course, with me, Tom made me think about my kids. How do they see? Because whatever little frustration I'm dealing with right now, it's going to be gone. Nobody will remember, including me, how I react to it. My kids will see, my employees will see, my partners will see. Uh, and how, uh, so back to her quote again, I've learned that people will forget what you said, forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel.
2: You know, I really, really, that, that story, that lesson didn't hit me until the last about year of dad's life. Mm. Uh, I think most of our listeners know that, uh, dad passed away five little, five and a half years ago and he had Alzheimer's. And today that's epidemic. I mean, if you, if you haven't a family at all, you've got somebody who you're close to, who's dealing with something like that. And it became all about the emotion. It didn't matter anymore what the facts were. Uh, And so like dad would always, he would at this time of his life, he'd say, son, have you heard my favorite quote? And we would just, we would just go along with him. We'd say, no, dad, tell us. And then he would tell us this quote and it would be different every day, but you could just tell how his mind was thinking. And so it was very, very, uh, we made the last days with dad so enjoyable because we realized what was important. Mm -hmm. Right. And the important is not knowing more than the other person or the important thing is not being right. The important thing is when you're with somebody you love or somebody you're building a relationship with, you make them feel important. Mm hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Amen. Hey, well, hey, here's one that goes right along with that. Jamie Slingler, Slingerland, who I've, uh, I got to meet not long ago at Social Media Marketing World. He said, uh, people respond well to extraordinary affirmation and having words of life spoken into them. When you see something in a coworker, client, family member, be bold and speak words of life into them, you may just be the catalyst in their life. So let's talk about that, Tom. I mean, we're talking about encouragement. I mean, Zig Ziglar was one of the master encouragers on planet Earth. You are an incredible encourager. I have a couple people in my life who are significant encouragers. Uh, But I had somebody say something one time as they were advocating encouragement. They said, you know, why, why not? It costs you nothing. It's free. Just give it out like candy. And yet I realized it doesn't come that easy to me. I, as a, there's an admission, it doesn't. I think good thoughts about other people, but I am, I am an introvert. I, I sometimes forget to speak them. One. two, though, I also have realized over time, as I've thought about this issue of encouragement being free and, and harmless, of it, sometimes it's not sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's embarrassing. Maybe you feel like you don 't even have the credibility to encourage that person. And maybe it will come off not authentic and there's fear in that, or maybe you would encourage them, but gosh, maybe that'll enable a bad behavior that you don't like about them. And so you withhold that. And so this is a real thing that I deal with every single day, especially in my home, but also here at my work with employees. I have to, I have to intentionally make a, a, proactively speak something that I've, I've thought I just don't, I, I don't think to say it. Another piece of that is because when we look at the love languages, right, Tom, and, uh, it, words of affirmation is one of those. Okay. That is not a big love language for me. Uh, it's just not. I like, I like, uh, um, uh, what is it? Uh, action, uh, or, uh, <laughs> service. Acts of, acts of service. Acts of service. Yes. Thanks. Acts of service. That does it for me, but words are, are not what, uh, that's not my love language. And so they don't tend to come out of me where now we're back to loving people like they want to be loved or relating to them like they do anyways, but back to this thing of encouragement. Uh, I don't know any thoughts on that, Tom, because again, I've, I've heard that said, Hey, it's free, but I know that man, a lot of people struggle with it.
2: Right. So here's what I would encourage. And this is something I have to remind myself. You speak, from your position, not your condition. And you speak yeah. to their position, not their condition. And so for me, this is what it means. It means that, hey, wait a second. I'm a child of the king. I have been given promises by God. My creator has said certain things about me. And guess what, Kevin? He has said certain things about you as well. Mm-hmm. And so from my position, it means it doesn't matter how I'm feeling or how rotten of a day I'm having and all the, you know, all the stuff that goes on in life when we're together. And I think, wow, you know, gosh, Kevin does such an amazing job with, you know, the 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 building the scripts for these podcasts, doing the research behind it, you know, doing all those things. I need to share that because I'm speaking from my position, my condition doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of a day I'm having. So I can give encouragement regardless of how disencouraged I am, right? And I need to understand that you you also are in that position. And so I'm speaking to your position. And so a lot of times mm-hmm. because we're in a condition, we think everybody else is in the condition. Well, you know, I don't want to say that. They're going to think I'm weird or they're going to, you yeah. know, da, 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 da. so that's helped me that that's it because I'm not naturally like a gregarious outgoing person. I being in front of the room and speaking, I've had to come out of my shell and the thing that's given me a lot of confidence in that
1: is the position. It's not the condition. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. It, it. And it reminds me too, you know, one of the things, yeah, like you, Tom, I, I don't tend to speak. I will write, though. I'm a, I'm a card giver guy, uh, especially with employees and, and those. I'll write things. I'll write emails. I'll write texts. I write texts to my wife, like little love notes or, or statements throughout the day, because uh, a lot of times by the time I get home, I'm tired of talking to anybody. Uh, but, you know, I, I do it where you can. Do is my thought. Well, Hey, I got, we got two more here that really hit some good points. This is from Tom Schwab, uh, who is, uh, actually I don't, I don't know if he's CEO, but he's one of the primary players at interview valet, really great place for those types of people who are trying to get interviews. So he sends a lot of great people our way, but he says uh, this quote that I've heard before hurt people hurt people. Happy, healthy people don't hurt people. How some, how some, how uh, someone reacts uh, acts or reacts says more about them than you. This is a theme Jen Groover introduced me to last summer and which I've seen over and over most recently in the book, The Four Arguments. I think I've heard of that book. I, I've not read it. Uh, but that is, you know, hurt people, hurt people. When we experience conflict, we experience somebody who's being unkind, unjust, unfair, uh, whatnot, that it is... Um, They've got something going on. And can we have grace? Ultimately, I think is the point there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what it is, is when you get hurt by somebody, they're speaking from their condition.
1: Yeah. Well, there you go. Exactly yeah. what you said. All right. One more here real quick. Erica Jurisitz. She says, though it seems a little counterintuitive, practicing self-love and positive self-talk helps to view others with the same caring and empathy. I think that brings us back to it's hard to give out what we don't have within us. Amen. Amen. And if we don't have a positive
2: view of ourselves, that's going to cloud our view of everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, most people, they especially when you see this, the stereotypical harsh parent, Mm -hmm. uh, when you dig right into it, they're most critical of themselves. And really all they want is they don't want their kids to do the mistakes that they did. But it comes out from the condition. It comes out hurt. Yeah. So when we flip that and we say, Hey, wait a second, I'm forgiven. There's grace. I'm doing the best I can. I'm not the same person I was, you know, a week ago, much less a year ago. And you give yourself some grace. Uh, then you can start to give other people grace. Beautiful.
1: Great place to land. Tom, I'm motivated. How about you?
2: I am. I have to
1: be. It's genetically required. <laughs> Amen. And I guess by <laughs> proxy being here, me too. All right. Thanks so much. All right, folks, there you go. Grade A training in effectively relating well to others. We could also say loving and serving others well. If you got value from the show, please let Tom and I know. Leave a review in iTunes. Then email us at thanks at com. Tell us your iTunes username so we can thank you by sending you Zig Ziglar and Tom Ziglar's book, Born to Win, an actual hard copy. Well, coming up next in show 573, we're back with Chris Hogan, our guest in show 570. We go behind the scenes with Chris for our habits show and talk through the seven spokes in the Ziegler Wheel of Life, hearing what challenges and healthy habits he employs in his daily life for overall success. I got a kick out of him talking about exercise. He looks for things he actually enjoys. From his, his star football days, he hates running. Feels like the only reason to ever run is if you're trying to hit someone else. Words to live by there, eh? Well, hey, until then, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.